0: Hi guys, I'm your host Bryony and thanks for tuning in to my new podcast, Let's Talk About the C-Word, where my guests and I will be tearing down the stigma around cancer one episode at a time. Let me dive right in by asking you a question. Why is it in 2023 people are opening up about their sexuality, their mental health, and their gender identity, but why do we still not talk enough about cancer? Did you know that in Australia in 2023, two in five people will be diagnosed with a type of cancer before the age of 85, and the other three will be closely affected by it at some stage in their lives? I recently saw a quote on Instagram infuriated me because it was so incredibly true. It said, someone close to me once told me that the absolute refusal to ask for help, even when you are in absolute agony, is rooted in trauma and we have been conditioned to look at it as strength. I want to flip that statement on its head and toss it out the window. There is absolutely no reason why people should be feeling so incredibly alone in their journey. Let's get one thing straight. Everyone's cancer journey is unique to the individual, but there is always going to be someone out there who has had the treatment before that you've had, or the same side effect that you've had, and they can empathize and understand what you are feeling. And on my podcast, you will get to hear from some of those people firsthand. This podcast will open up a dialogue broaching topics such as chemo-induced menopause at a young age, men with breast cancer, freezing eggs, hiding diagnoses, and cancer and mental health. But what you will not hear are medical instructions about how to cure cancer, drug recommendations, or diet suggestions, because I am not a doctor and I'm going to leave all of that to the medical professionals. Let me give you a bit of background into who I am and why I've started this podcast. I have cancer is definitely not the sentence that a 16 year old girl wants to hear from her father after she gets home from school one afternoon. Fast forward to 2023 and I'm now 27, and my life has revolved around cancer non-stop since that fateful day. My father passed away after five years of living with a nasty blood cancer. I remember he would complain continuously of having this aching sore toe, and every time he would go to the doctor, they wouldn't take him seriously and would tell him he had gout. Then one day, one doctor did take him seriously, ran some tests, and told him the news that none of us expected. From day one, his diagnosis was hard to predict. At first he was diagnosed with essential thrombocythemia, then polycythemia vera, then myelofibrosis, and eventually it morphed into acute myelogleukemia, also referred to as AML. All of the above mentioned types of blood cancers are from a group called the myeloproliferative neoplasms, also known as MPNs, and all of these different types had different life expectancies and different outcomes. Just a side note, if you are curious about any of the medical terms I mention in this podcast, each episode I will link the definition of the terms below, which will take you to a reliable Australian oncologist approved website. Don't get me wrong, I am all for encouraging people to be informed and educated, but you have to be so careful with what you choose to believe on Dr Google. And if you have questions, just ask a real doctor. As a teenager, I had never experienced anything related to cancer. I just knew it as a big scary word that made a person unwell and it usually meant they would go through a treatment that would usually result in them losing their hair. I was terrified of the unknown and I had no idea what was going to happen to my dad. First came the exhaustion, leading my dad to retire from his job and spend the majority of most days resting due to extreme physical fatigue. Then came bruising, low platelet counts, dizziness and sweat. As the disease progressed over the five years, he became eligible for a stem cell transplant, which at that point in time was his only chance of survival. Unfortunately, he was extremely immunosuppressed at this point, and during his stay in hospital he contracted PCP, a nasty type of pneumonia, which we can all carry, however, with a low white blood cell count, he stood no chance. We lost him after two weeks of him being put into an induced coma. It was the most traumatic two weeks of my life. But cancer didn't stop there, not at all. Just as my mother and I were trying to adjust to our new life without my father, my mother started getting abdominal pain, bloating, and was struggling to eat, which led her to being diagnosed with cancer of the small intestine, also known as small bowel cancer. As you can imagine, right after experiencing the loss of a loved one due to cancer, and being right in the middle of our grieving process, my mother and I were both beyond devastated, because we knew exactly what we were in for, again. My mum started undergoing three rounds of intravenous chemotherapy, called Fulfox, and the tumour was removed with good margins. But things just didn't seem quite right. In December 2021, she was diagnosed with another small intestine tumour, but this time it was wrapped around her aorta and her superior mesenteric arteries. The proposed surgery was going to be extremely dangerous, If the surgeon's tools nicked the arteries by accident while trying to remove the tumor she would die on the operating table to counter this she began taking oral chemo tablets and undergoing radiation in the hopes of shrinking the tumor to a size safer to operate on we had a bit of a reprieve in may when the tumor had been shrunk to an operable size and she was cleared to undergo the surgery it was at this time i decided to quit my job and properly become my mom's carer as it made more sense to me to spend all my time helping her during her chemotherapy and radiation treatment rather than regret not being there for her at all the surgery day came and it was a seven and a half hour long operation she remained in hospital for three and a half weeks the doctors had told us if they had left the surgery even a few weeks later she would have died when they opened her up to operate Her entire bowel was blue, and the blood into her bowel was being blocked by the tumour. She would have had a perforated bowel and died of sepsis before she could be operated on. Because the surgery was successful, we were hoping that this might have meant that she was in the clear. Fast forward a few months, and another tumour was found on her ovaries the size of a volleyball. It caused her a considerable amount of pain, and unfortunately the new tumour location put her cancer in the stage 4 category. For everyone out there who doesn't understand stage 4 and assumes that it just means instant death, it actually means that her cancer had metastasized, meaning it had spread from the original area of her body to another. My mum then underwent a total hysterectomy to remove the tumour and she only spent two days in hospital. We were hoping that would be the end of the road, but unfortunately more tumours have been found since then and the doctors began talks of a peritonectomy operation. A peritonectomy operation can last up to 12 hours. The surgeons will go in and look for anything that looks visibly cancerous to the naked eye and then remove it. The patient also receives something called HIPEC, which is essentially a form of chemotherapy during the surgery, and then sometimes they also get it afterwards in the ICU. So where are my mum and I at now? Well, I am in the middle of planning my wedding with my fiancé. And my mum is continuing chemotherapy treatment until the doctors decide the time is right for her to have the surgery. Or I guess we could always hold out hope that there might be a new clinical trial drug that comes through. In all honesty, after 11 years of just living with constant unknowns, dread, and anxiety, and fear of this illness absolutely effing up my loved ones' lives, and hurting them, I think I've kind of come out somewhat normal. Don't get me wrong, there is absolutely nothing normal about the way that I grew up. I flunked my HSC because of stress, changed university courses three times and then dropped out, had multiple jobs and then quit them. But the one thing I stay consistent at is looking after my family, prioritising helping them when they needed it the most, and being there for others who are going through similar situations. My resilience comes from knowing that I'm definitely not the first young person to go through their 20s as a carer, and I'm certainly not the first person to have two parents be diagnosed with cancer, and I talk about it probably too much with all of my friends and family so that they always know where I'm at. My mum is the same, she will always be transparent about her illness and her approach to just living with cancer is unlike anything I've ever seen before. Most people that know her would say the same, and that you probably wouldn't even know that she had cancer most of the time, until you see her take-home chemotherapy bum bag attached to her chest port. If you are curious what take-home chemotherapy looks like, I will be doing an interview later on in a different episode with my mum that will be filmed, so you can see what it looks like on there. The main takeaway from watching my mum and how she approaches cancer, and from being so open about her illness is that she has been an incredible support system for so many of her friends that are also going through it, that at the beginning didn't want to speak about it and probably didn't really think they had that many people to relate to. And it's the same with me. I have so many friends who are looking after parents or siblings or have lost a parent or friend to cancer or something similar who I go to coffee with and we sit down and talk about it and just relate to one another it's super special and those relationships are so incredibly important i cannot emphasize it enough it is also tremendously important that cancer is spoken about more with the general public being in my 20s there are so many of my friends who don't have a clue and an understanding of cancer at all just like myself when my dad first got diagnosed again to them cancer probably just looks like something that makes you lose your hair and look something along the lines of the movie The Fault Now stars. That's why I'm so open with them, so they know how to check in on their friends, whether they are a carer or someone with cancer, and feel comfortable doing so. Being able to approach difficult conversations like having that first I have cancer chat, and understanding that they can make such an impact by just offering to help that person, just cook them that dinner or bring them that coffee, So many of my friends are unaware that you can be diagnosed with a cancer in your 20s whether you are female or male, and if you are female you might have to undergo freezing your eggs, that you might have to experience chemotherapy induced menopause, that men can in fact get breast cancer, or that you know after stage one it doesn't mean that you're necessarily screwed. One of the most shocking experiences I've ever had to encounter with my mum shows just how necessary it is to get that cancer education out there. If you have ever been shopping in a beauty retail store, you know that there is usually at least one of those really unfriendly, super judgy and occasionally downright bitchy staff members that are that stereotype that people try and avoid when they enter a store. Trust me, I worked at one of the biggest names in the beauty industry for about four years with some specific people who were just downright horrible human beings, and this day was absolutely no different. I had gone shopping with my mum right after she had received her chemo treatment. At the end of her chemotherapy treatment, they hook her up through her chest port access down through a little clear tube that goes right down into a bottle that goes into a bum bag. My mum wears this bum bag for two days, while in that bottle that chemotherapy is slowly dispersed into her body, and then she goes back to get it disconnected. It is definitely visible on her, but considering the fluid and the tube are clear, and the port access site is hidden under her shirt, it's not super confronting, or even that odd, but I do understand why some people might look at it out of curiosity, and my mum would certainly be happy to explain it, someone who doesn't know what it is that asks, and she wouldn't get offended because some people might be shocked to know that in 2023, and for a while now, people have actually been able to walk around while receiving treatment. But as we walk into the makeup shop, which I will not name, but you can probably guess, one of the young girls came up and asked if she could help us. Now this girl was lovely and got us the foundation my mum was after straight away and took us straight up to her counter. As we walked up, I could see that there were three girls at the tills and one of them broke away from chatting with them to serve us. She was probably only around 18 or so. As she approached us, I could already hear the other employees talking smack about another staff member in the corner, which is, you know, typical, and I just thought, yep, here we go. And as this girl started scanning the foundation, she slowly eyed my mum up and down. Her eyes widened when she saw the tube, and she decided to process the transaction, and instead of wrapping the product or even giving us a bag, she wandered straight back over to the corner to the other girl's, and started talking shit about my mum so loud that we could hear it. She was saying, What the F is that thing that lady is wearing? It looks so stupid. And then some other unmentionables, and I won't mention them because they were so rude. And then she proceeded to come back over, shove the foundation and receipt into my mum's hands, without the bag, without saying anything, and walked back to her corner to resume talking smack. Now... My mum is the cutest little angel nugget, and I was absolutely disgusted and wanted to slap that girl silly. But instead, we left, had a nice lunch at a sushi train, and I proceeded to email the company's HR, who were extremely helpful and equally as disgusted at her behaviour. What saddens me is that this girl probably isn't a terrible person. She just didn't know what it was and didn't have the balls to ask. We all fear the things we don't understand, but I do think if she knew that it was a chemotherapy treatment for someone with cancer, she would have never dared to open her mouth and say those horrid things, because chances are she has a loved one who she would think of immediately and be humbled. And this incident definitely is not the first or probably the last time my mum or I will witness this type of reaction. But that is why I am talking on here To make people more aware that you should never be ashamed of having cancer. I mean, you wouldn't be ashamed of having the COVID or a flu. So why is this illness any different? Despite some people deciding that it's okay to tell cancer patients that God only picks his strongest warriors to fight his hardest battles, which, um, it's so not okay, by the way, it is important to understand that cancer can be unexplainable. It can be genetic. It can have super random causes and super well-known causes, but anyone can get it, whether you are fit or unhealthy, old, young. So if you are someone with no experience with cancer, don't count yourself out because chances are it's going to impact your life at some point, some way or another, and you could be in that person's shoes just as easily. So each week I am going to be interviewing like-minded people to hopefully help you guys by letting them share their experiences, ask them how they cope, what they wish their friends knew when they were telling them the first time, and what they would do differently now that they have been through their experience. Stick around and subscribe if you want to hear more, and be sure to give the podcast a follow on Instagram for updated content and collaborations. Thanks for listening to this episode, and if you are unsure of any of the medical terminology, I will have definitions linked down below, but if you have any doubt, ask a medical professional. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About the C-Word.